in this series. I talked about this last week, and I'm going to say it again, especially for this message, okay? Um, If I look at you during a certain point, it's not because I know your past. It's not because I know what you're thinking. It's not because I'm looking at you on purpose because I think you're doing this wrong. It's because I have to have somewhere to look, okay? Every other message series I do, I don't have to have this disclaimer. But when I do this message series, someone always comes up to me afterwards and like, why did you say that while you're looking at me? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what's happening, but apparently we need to talk. Um, there's something going on there. Let me just say this. If, and especially in this message, there's going to be, um, possibly for many of you, there's going to be one of two feelings. Um, conviction is from God. Here's what conviction is. Conviction is, yes, you've messed up in the past, but I'm God, I love you, and we're going to go forward in this. That's what conviction is. Guilt is from the other side. Guilt is from the enemy. Guilt is you are sitting there, you're worthless, you're not good enough. There's many times in church services where we have talked about this topic and people have felt guilt. That's not from God. If you feel that way, that's not God. That's not what God wants you to feel. He wants you to understand that he loves you and cares about you and there's absolutely nothing that you can take take you away from him and there's nothing that he can't repair you from. And so please don't feel that at all tonight because when we're talking about sex tonight and so there's a lot of pain and shame that go along with that because of the way that it's talked about many times in church. And what I, what I, what, what I like now is I, I spent 13 years in student ministry and doing sex messages to student ministry is just tough. Um, it, it's incredibly tough to do uh, messages to, because they always take the wrong idea from the story that you tell. Like, if it's possible to take it the wrong way, they take it the wrong way. I'll give you the example. Um, we had two leaders in our ministry. Their names were Sarah and Josh. And Sarah and Josh were an incredible couple. They were working in our youth ministry. And their story was this. Uh, I think at the age of, like, 18 and 19, each of them were, um, Sarah got pregnant. And uh, because she got pregnant, they had a shotgun wedding. If you don't know what a shotgun wedding is, um, it's basically she's pregnant, the dad's not happy. So with a shotgun, he takes the husband to the place and he marries her. Not exactly that thing that happened, but their marriage was not something out of love. It was out of necessity. And so they get married. The first several years were absolutely horrible. Lots of crying, almost leaving many times. It gets worse and it gets worse. At one point, there's an emotional affair, almost an affair. There's all these kinds of things happening. Then 10 years into it, they find a church, they find God. God restores their relationship, restores their marriage, all that kind of stuff. They're working in student ministry. Everything's great. And so they go, please, please, please don't do it the way that we did it. Do not do it the way we did it. God has a better plan for you, all these things. Literally that same night, I overhear a group of girls going, man, you know what? I just wish I could have a baby. It'd be so cute. And then he'd have to stay with me. And look, they got together. It worked. And I'm sitting there going, what is wrong with you? And here's what I know. None of you are going to do that. But what you may do is this, is you may go, yeah, you say that, but I've got a friend who... Or I have an uncle or an aunt who, or I know somebody else. Guys, we always will find the outlier that agrees with us. It's very easy to find the outlier that agrees with us. But when we talk about these things, don't, you're going to naturally do that. Please just let them sit. Think about it. See if it makes sense. Uh, Look through it and, and see if you can understand what God may be saying to you in that point. Because the reason God talks about all these things is because he wants the best relationship for you possible. I want the best relationship for you possible. And so my entire deal of like going through this is we're not going to talk about, you know, this is what God wants for sex. Here's what I want to get across tonight. And this is, this is what it is. I want you to understand that sex is powerful is really what I want to get across, um, is that sex is powerful. And what's interesting for me is I used to walk into small groups all the time, and a, a crazy question is asked is, when did you first learn about sex? Because most of us, it wasn't parents. 
Like, it, it was some other random thing. I, I've had kids that have talked about their parents, and I've had other kids in student ministry. This is so depressing. that the, my, He's like, yeah, my dad gave me a subscription to a porn site and said, here, learn about sex. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. This poor wife. Like, it, it is a, this is a horrible thing. This is the way they're learning. And, and so I remember as a kid learning about my parents were definitely stayed in front of it like they um when I was a little kid I remember we started off with a book and we went through it and like this is your body I'm like this is disgusting you remember that as a kid you're like no one will ever like this like this is awful (laughs) like why why would anybody want to do that and you're going through it I remember going through it and then you forget as a kid like literally you learn something the next year you forget and I remember I think I was like seven years old I was in first grade and somebody mentioned the word sex and everybody laughed and I didn't know what it was so I went home and I was like, hey, mom, what's sex? And she goes, well, your dad's going to be home in a little bit, so you should ask him. And so dad came home and asked him. He goes, all right, we'll talk about it. And they already had the book picked out that we're going to go through and all that. And we're going through it. And I'm like, this is horrible. Like, this is awful. I'm like, why would anybody want to do this? And he's like, well, son, someday you'll really like it. And blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he does. And you're like, no, I'm not. You're crazy. And, like, and, and I remember at the end of it, he tells me, he goes, do you have any questions? And I said, well, actually, um, I think you need to talk to mom. He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, I don't think she knows about this. And he goes, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I went to ask her and she told me to ask you. He goes, no, son. He goes, she knows about it. How do you think you got here? And I went, like, that was the moment in my brain. You guys remember that moment where you clicked where you go, my parents had sex. (laughs) And you're like, that's disgusting. You know, I no longer see you as my heroes. I'm like, you're just a bunch of perverts. Like, what is going on? Right here, and I, I remember going, hey, like only twice, right? Only twice? And he goes, no, no, much more than that. And I'm like, oh. I remember thinking it was absolutely disgusting. But my parents had this open, they definitely talked about it. And my sister was the one, I could always guarantee she would ask the question. She asked every question. She had no shame. She would always come up. I remember one, one time her coming up and asking my mom, what's oral sex? And my mom's like, okay, I'll tell you. And, like, and she told us, and my sister would always ask a follow-up question that I never understood. She would always ask, well, do you and, do you and, do you and dad do that? And I remember going, I don't want to hear the answer to this. I, I saw my mom smirk and I ran away. Like, I just ran away. I'm like, this is awful. But, you know, you, you start to learn these things. And I remember in sixth grade getting off the bus and somebody had ripped up this magazine, this magazine that was way worse than Playboy. And I remember seeing the magazine. And, yes, I'm old. It's a magazine. Um, and it had a naked woman on it in a very provocative position and absolutely naked. I remember looking at that and being very confused because the drawings in the books that we looked at were very different than what I was looking at. And I'm like, I'm like, is that normal? My friend's like, yeah, that's normal. And, I'm like, and I remember looking at that and like just for the first time, all those thoughts, all those things started to come into mind. And it's crazy. Some of you, you never even had the sex talk. It wasn't, you learned everything from your friends. I had high schoolers who, their parents, they, the two girls, they would ask their parents, how did we get here? And up until high school, this was their answer. Well, we wanted really, we really wanted girls. And so we prayed for God, to God really hard for girls and God gave us girls. And that's what they told them up until high school. And, and it's just crazy to me that this kind of stuff happens. And then some of you had the worst part of it. You had guilt-based sex education. Where it's like, your body is disgusting, don't look at another body, like everything is bad. My friend Ryan, and this is amazing to this day, his uh, grandma was Jehovah Witness and he gave him, she gave him a book called God and Your Changing Body, which is automatically a title that you shouldn't read. But the third chapter, the third chapter was, um, <laughs> when you touch yourself, Jesus cries. And I say that, and 
many of us right now are feeling very uncomfortable, which is great. <laughs> but it doesn't end there. Some of you, this is, I mean, I've been at fault of this. Some of you have walked into a student ministry for the first time. You went into youth ministry or middle school ministry, and you came from a different lifestyle, and you'd already messed up, and you walked in, and all they talked about was how important your virginity was, and if you lost virginity, how bad it was and all that, and it made you feel absolutely guilty, and you're worth nothing. And many of us have felt that way, and none of that's true. And so our idea of sex, our idea of what God wants, all of that has been so construed over the years, and what's so bad is it comes with all these attachments to it, and that's not at all what God ever wanted. And what's crazy is we talk about sex so much, but the stat, and this is going to ruin a lot of the guys' days here, um, according to statistics, a really good marriage, sex is only 0.4% of it. 0.4%, a lot of the guys are like, you don't know my marriage. I'm like, it's okay, like, I get it. Let's say you're 1%. Like, if you have, if you, let me just say this, if you have sex for an hour a day, which nobody's got time for that. If you have sex for an hour every single day, it's 4% of your marriage. But what do we talk about all the time? What do you see on every Cosmo as you walk by? What does every TV show talk about? It talks about sex. Why do we talk about sex so much? It's because it's easier to talk about sex than it is about real things. It's easier to say that sex is the problem with your relationship than maybe the baggage that came along with it. It's easier to talk about the sex is the problem with the relationship rather than the fact that your communication sucks. It's easier to talk about sex than anything else. And so the lie has been, you know, if your sex is good, then your relationship is good, when actually it's the other side of it. Now, sex is powerful, though. Sex is incredibly important part of marriage. And God created, and that's the thing, like, people think, oh, God's down on sex. God's not good with sex. God created sex. Like, he created Adam and Eve naked on purpose. Like, it was very purposeful. It's not like God was walking along one day and saw them having sex, and he was like, oh, what are you guys doing? And sprayed them with a water bottle. Like, he, that's not what's going on. God created it. He wanted us to have that, and he wanted to be a part of marriage. And I'm going to read a, a passage for you that's going to help you understand it. If you've never read Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, you have messed out, missed out on an explicit part of the Bible. This is in there, and let me just read it. It says this. this it's basically a letter back and forth between a man and a woman that are newly married, and they're being... Yeah, so it says, you are slender like a palm tree and your breasts are like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like grape clusters and the fragrance of your breath like apples. May your kisses be as exciting as the best wine. How beautiful are your sandaled feet, O queenly maiden. Uh, your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a skilled craftsman. Your navel is perfectly formed like a goblet filled with mixed wine. Between your thighs, I will stop there. It goes on. It talks about oral sex. It talks about all kinds of, this is all in the Bible. This is all in the Bible. Why? Because God's like, I want you to have fun in marriage. He's not against sex at all. In fact, he actually commands married people to have sex. There's a verse that every married man learns right off the bat when he gets married. Every time, 1 Corinthians 7, 3 to 5. This will be up on the screen. It says this, The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to the wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you give yourself more completely to prayer. And let the, Actually, it says prayer and fasting. Afterward, you should come together so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. What does God say? God's commanding married people to have sex. Why? So that you can fulfill each other's needs. You can have as much fun as possible in the bedroom so that you don't look for it outside. I had a, had a friend talk to me this one time. He goes, his wife was, he was like, hey, what's going on? Because like, that's still a pickup line even when you're married. Um, he, he looks at his wife like, hey, what's going on? She's like, I have a headache. And he goes, that's not a biblical reason. 
She's like, well, I'm fasting. He goes, that's not what that Snickers bar says right there. And, and here's the deal. It's, it's, not, it's not that God created this thing and he, he doesn't know what's going on. Just think for a moment. If you believe that God created this entire world, if you, you believe God created us down to the chemical level, everything that happens in our body, wouldn't it make sense that on a biological level, what he says in the Bible makes sense for us and what happens in our body? And here's what's so great. Now, what's the, hardest thing, the hardest thing to do with teaching on this subject back in the day with high schoolers especially was God wants you to do it this way because we all know it's better this way. But people would say, well, I don't feel that way when I have sex. Or I can do it. And we had no way of talking about it. But now science is actually caught up with God. Science is caught up with God. And so what I can do tonight, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on the science because some of you are like, oh my gosh, I'm just, you're just losing me. My wife will fade out very soon here. But like, I, I just want you to get this. And I want you to understand this. Here's what we know. There's chemicals that are dumped on your brain every single time you have sex. Every single time. We're going to look at five really quick. There's more than that. But this is the reason why sex is powerful. is because God created us this way. And God created us when sex happens, this is what happens. Okay, so we're going to look at dopamine, norepinephrine, testosterone, oxytocin and serotonin dopamine elevated levels of dopamine in the brain produce extremely focused attention this chemical causes each spouse to focus in, intensely on each other at the exclusion of everything else around you this chemical literally makes you become dumber so that you only focus on what's in front of you it, it's literally the chemical that it's the reason why when you start to move towards sex you become dumber it, it's that reason like why did i just do that because of dopamine it says, a release of dopamine is associated with craving and dependency and addiction, which may be why it can help produce a healthy attraction and dependency between spouses. It's also the chemical associated with mate selection. Here's what they've learned in animals. Animals are very specific on how they mate. They're looking for the best characteristics to go on. They found that if they just put dopamine in a brain of an animal while it's looking at an inferior mate, it will immediately want to be with that person. So what does dopamine do? It makes us look at a person and go, I could marry that. I could marry that, not I could hit that. I could marry that. That's what dopamine does. And so if you have a lot of shots of dopamine looking at someone that's absolutely not good enough, you start to look at them as a possible marriage prospect. Norepinephrine. This chemical generates exhilaration and increased energy by giving the body a shot of natural adrenaline. Norepinephrine has been also linked to raising memory capacity. Whatever stimulus is being experienced in the presence of this chemical is seared into the brain. This helps explain how a couple in love can remember the smallest details of their beloved's features. It also explains the reason why we can't get rid of uh, X's in our brain. It explains the reason why porn gets into our brain. It explains the reason why we can't forget the things that we want to. When norepinephrine goes up, it actually causes our brain to work on a higher level. This is very purposeful in what God wanted to do. Next one, testosterone. Testosterone is known as the hormone of sexual desire in both men and women. For men, however, is the key hormone of desire triggering feelings of positive energy and well-being. Testosterone is the, it's the man hormone. It's the one that when after sex, he's like, what's up? Like that's testosterone. Like that's him going, yep, I'm the man. Like that is what testosterone does. It does. It makes him feel like he has accomplished the world, even though, yeah. So oxytocin. The flood of oxytocin at climax acts as a natural tranquilizer, lowering blood pressure, blunting sensitivity to pain and stress, and inducing sleep. It's known as the cuddle hormone, the relationship hormone, or the love hormone. This is literally the one that makes you want to be next to this person. 
This is the one that makes you want to be close to this person all the time. And then combined with the next one is what's so powerful, serotonin. The natural chemical is released right after climax, bringing on a deep feeling of calmness, satisfaction, and release of stress. It's an antidepressant just like Prozac. Prozac is meant to mimic this drug, and it's designed to increase levels of serotonin. Here's what serotonin and oxytocin do. Everything's going crazy in your relationship. Everything's not good. You're telling all your friends we're going to break up. You have sex, and you're like, everything's fine. It's fine. It makes everything okay. It makes everything fine. And so what happens is this, is what's becoming really, really tough, and this is why I'm talking about this, and this is why the point of this message is sex is powerful. If your goal is to pick the right person, if your goal is to find the right person for your life, it becomes very, very hard to figure out if they're the right person or the wrong person if this is being dumped on your brain. Becomes incredibly hard. It is impossible for this not to be dumped on your brain. It's impossible. And so what happens is you get in situations where you're trying to figure out if they're the right person or not, where you're automatically going to assume they're the right person if this is being dumped on your brain on a regular basis. It's kind of like this. Let's say, for example, some of you have a bad job, which is not a hard thing to think of. Let's say you have a really bad job and there's a better job out there for you and you know of it already. You go in to quit, but as soon as you go in to quit, they give you a $10,000 raise. You go, okay, I'll stay with it. A week later, it's getting worse. You're like, I, I've got to quit. You go in to quit. They give you another $10,000 raise. It, and the job is horrible. You know you have no upper mobility. Everything you're doing, you don't like. It's a toxic environment. But you won't leave it because they keep giving you raises. It's the same thing with sex. The relationship can get worse and worse. But every time you have sex again, it makes everything feel okay. It makes everything feel fine. It makes everything feel okay to the point to where it has to go really, really wrong for you to get it has to go really, really wrong for even you to see it. And actually, the journal Neuroscience actually says this. They say, having sex the, at the height of what, when all of these things are dumped on your brain, it's similar to heroin. Now, I've never tried heroin, but it sounds, no, it doesn't sound good. I mean, but <clears throat> I understand it now. Um, it's the same idea as heroin. And what's crazy to me is I heard a guy on the radio um, before who said this. He said, the problem with sex right now is religion. Religion has made it to where it's this big deal and we need to take away it. It doesn't need to be a big deal anymore. Basically, the only way we're going to go forward as a society is if we get to the point where sex is the same thing as a handshake. It's the same thing as a handshake. And I'm thinking to myself, how, how can you ever think about sex as the same thing as a handshake? Nobody ever gets mad when you get forcibly handshook. But rape is a big deal. Rape is a huge deal. Why is rape such a big deal to the point where women will admit being beat before they will admit being raped? Why is rape such a big deal to the point where women will blame themselves before they tell anybody else about it? Why is it such a big deal to the point where Me Too is coming out and women are finally in the place where they can actually talk about it? I mean, if if sex is a handshake, that's a crazy thought. If it would be the same thing, people would be looking for handshakes. It's much more powerful than that. And it's impossible to have sex without having these feelings for a person. It's impossible to get to that place. It's kind of like this. I, I worked at a church um, just in the maintenance side of things on weekends when I was growing up. And one of the weekends I was uh, helping out in one of the, um, the air conditioner rooms, I, I had dumped a, a thing of water by accident and it had gone up the wall. And then the next time I came in, there was an entire amount of uh, mold all over the wall. And I thought it was my fault. I thought that I had done it. So I did what you're supposed to do, not tell anybody to go get paint. And so I went and got paint, and I covered up large patch of mold on the wall. Everything was fine for a while, but a month later, entire wall, again, covered with mold. In fact, it was more this time. So I went back, painted it up, 
Two weeks later, mold, painted it up. One week later, mold, painted it up. Comes in the next week, the entire wall is out. All the infrastructure is there. I'm like, what happened? Like acting like I don't know. They're like, well, actually a pipe burst. Uh, we probably could have caught it earlier, but we didn't see any of the effects of it. And it just burst, so we have to change everything out. Guys, here's what sex is. You, literally, you're starting to see who they are, and then all of a sudden you paint over the wall. That's what it does. And it's not until things get really bad and you go, how did I not see this? And all your friends are like, we've been telling you this whole time. Sex does that. It blunts us. Now, you can get rid of all this feeling. Actually, you can. You can get rid of sex affecting you. There's two different ways. One through porn. Porn addiction will get rid of these feelings, and so will sleeping with people, a lot of different people all the time. Both of those things, basically, you'll get such a flood of this in your system, the receptors in your brain will turn off. The problem is, when this is flooded into your system like that, and that gets turned off in your brain, you literally lose the ability to form relationships. You lose the ability to form loving relationships or even friendships at that point, because without these chemicals, we don't understand what friendships are, we don't feel close to anyone. And so you have that there. These chemicals are incredibly powerful. And here's what I get all the time. I hear, well, how long in a relationship does it take to get to know someone? And counselors will, will, say, will tell you this, and psychologists will tell you this. The average amount of time it gets to truly know someone is seven to nine months. Somewhere around seven to nine months is where people are actually real. It's not like you're purposely trying to lie, but you're always made up. Or you're not purposely trying to lie, but you're always happy, and you're really not a happy person. It's like that, that moment where all of a sudden, like, she walks out, and you go, oh, this is the real you. Okay, we're good. Or that moment where you actually just go off and you're like, oh, this is the real you. Okay, now I get to know who you are. Here's the problem. It takes much, much longer than seven to nine months if you introduce sex because you miss it. Even non-Christian counselors, non-Christian counselors, non-Christian books say, wait as long as you possibly can if you want to get to know the person. And that's the point. If you want to have a good relationship, if you want to find the right person, you've got to know who they really are. This slows down the entire process. See, and on top of it, there's all the physical consequences, which I don't even want to get into, but we know this. You heard about all of them in high school. It's just crazy to me that we, we, we hold this up at such a high regard that we're willing to affect so much. We're willing for it to affect so many things. And, and so what I want to, you're sitting there, you're like, well, what, what's the point of this then? Why did God create us, create us this way? And I want to give you the scenario that God had in mind. And let me just say this right off the bat, no one in here can achieve that right now just because of the world that we live in. But this will make a lot more sense to the way God created us. Imagine this. Imagine this. If you lived in biblical times and you, because you lived in biblical times, everything was different. You don't have the internet. You don't have TV. You don't have any of that stuff. The first person that you see naked is your spouse. The first person you see naked is your spouse. The only person you've seen naked is, is your spouse. So every time you lust, you think of their body. Every time you, uh, you want to have sex, you're thinking of their body. Every time you, you want to go for it, you want to have sex, you're going to them. You're thinking about them. You're going after them. The only person you can even crave, the only person that you've even seen is your spouse. And then during that first year of marriage, you have a ton of sex. You have a ton of sex. And during that first year of marriage, this gets dumped on your brain constantly constantly. And over time, what happens? You become addicted to your spouse. The reason for this is because God wanted us to become addicted to our spouse. Why would God want us to become addicted to our spouse? Maybe because he knows us. He knows when two selfish people come together, they're going to sin. They're going to do things to hurt each other. And he wanted to make sure there was something else there that made them come back together. He wanted to make sure there was something else there that would make them want to come back together to work it out. Something else there that made them feel a closeness, something there. Something that made them come together so that they could grow in a marriage, so they could raise healthy kids, so that they could live a life that God wanted them to and leave a legacy down the road. See, this was created purposefully 
to make and help people stay together in marriage because it's powerful in that way. The only reason God did this, he goes, I want to reinforce what we already have. Let me just say this. What happens is, is when we don't realize the power that sex has, we tend to bastardize it. And we, and we tend to go after it the wrong way. And we get something that's not nearly as good. And this is what I see so many times. People that go from relationship to relationship to relationship and then jump into marriage, never dealing with any of their sexual past, never dealing with anything in their background. They get into marriage and what happens is because they have such a past because they've never dealt with it up until this point, sex becomes boring quickly. Sex becomes boring quickly and when sex becomes boring, what happens is this, you start going to the highlight reel. You start going to the highlight reel. Guys have their highlight reel of past experiences. Girls have their highlight reel of past experiences. All of a sudden, the lights go off and eyes close, and you're, having, you're no longer having sex. You're just using each other for masturbation. And that's no longer what God wanted. There's nothing being formed there, because all you're doing is you're thinking about somebody and being formed to that person, because that's who you're thinking about. Can God change all of that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Can God get your mind to where he wants you to be? Yes. It takes time, but God can. God can. Over time, you can, you can actually change your mind where it was to somewhere else. God can refocus your mind. They actually say in that first year of marriage, if you've started to take care of your mind before your marriage, in your marriage, as you start to have sex with each other, you actually can rewire your brain towards your partner to where the original thought of what God wanted can actually happen. Our brains are amazing things, but it takes time and it takes purposeful doing the right things. See, sex is a powerful thing. If you look in 1 Corinthians 6.18, it says this. It says, run from sexual sin. No other sin clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. God literally says, run from sin. Jesus stood in the desert and allowed Satan to tempt him. But if sexual sin comes into play, he goes, run. Take off. You don't have the ability to withstand it. We don't. Guys and girls both. Enough temptation in front of you, you will give in at some point because we're not made to resist that kind of temptation. We're not made to have that happen. And and so what I want to do is also to kind of go along with this, I also want to make sure we go over a couple lies um, from inside the church and outside the church that we know. And I just want to make sure we get an understanding of what sex is. And here's the first lie, and many of you know this, but I'm just going to go over it. The lie of sexual compatibility. There's this idea out there that I need to... uh, I don't want to say try before I buy, that sounds wrong, but uh, (laughs) try before I get married because we need to make sure we're sexually compatible, right? You know, we may not be, let me tell you something, and this is not going to sit well. If you're sexually compatible with somebody right off the bat, it's not just because they're good at sex, it's because the person they were with before you has the same likes. It's because the person they were with before gave them enough practice so that they were good with you. Like, sexual compatibility is such a joke. If you're a guy and she's a girl, you're compatible. You are. God made you that way. Let me just go ahead and tell you that. You're fine. You, you've got it. You, you've got it figured out. And what's great is, is this, is in marriage we get to learn. It's not like, in thinking about that, it's not like there's ever going to be a time in marriage where you're like, wow, that was really good. Who'd you learn that from? Like, we would never say that. No one ever, I still remember I had a girlfriend that I remember one time we were kissing, and I'm sorry, babe, that I'm saying this, but we were kissing, and she did something. She goes, yeah, I learned that from my last boyfriend. I'm like, why would you tell me that? I don't want to kiss you anymore. Like, we we don't want to think about it like that. But uh, according to statistics, and let me just say this, sex in marriage is far better for women, and it's just a little bit better for men. 
Men are easy, though. That's the, that's the problem. You just show up and they're good. But for women, it's, it's way, way better in marriage. Why? Because there's, there's a togetherness. There's an, I'm okay now that we're married, that I could be honest and real with you in that. Compatibility is not a physical thing. It's actually a relational thing. And in marriage, what's great is practice makes perfect. And it's awesome. It's not like you get married and you're like, oh, man, this sucks. I should have watched another show on Netflix. No, you're like, this is practice. This is still awesome, though. This is still fun. We get to practice. We get to figure out what's good and what's not. And what's great in marriage, you feel comfortable enough to tell your likes and your dislikes. You can go stop doing that. Do this. Stop doing this. Do more of this. Stop biting your lip. Bite my lip. Like, figure it out, right? Let me just go ahead and say this. Can we just, can we just say this? Guys, please stop biting your lips. You look constipated. It's not good. Girls can bite a lip, and it's amazing. Like, it's one of those things. Like, I, see, I saw a guy one time, like, I need to break up with her. She, bite, she, bought, you know, she bit her lip, and he's like, I need to marry her. Um, and then the girl's like, I need to break up with him. He bites her lip. He goes, I'm not going to do it right now. He looks like he needs to go to the bathroom. But um, what happens in marriage is you can actually be real. You can be honest with the people around you. Here's another lie. If you wait till marriage, sex will be amazing right away. Actually, what most married couples say is the worst year of, the worst year of sex is actually the first year of sex. Even if they had sex before marriage, the worst year of sex is the first year of sex. And I'm not saying it's bad. It's worse by comparison because what happens is the more you have sex, the more you learn each other, the more you understand what to do. And when I say worse, it's not like it's bad. It's not like you're sitting there, you're like, man, we should just try over. Let's find somebody else. No, it's worse because you're still learning each other in that time. You get through the awkwardness and you figure this out. Now, here's the biggest line that I've got to make sure we understand. Marriage will satisfy all of your sexual desires. That is not true. There, there is nothing that happens in marriage that all of a sudden makes guys not be able to see any good-looking women around them. It's not like a guy gets married and he goes, what women? I don't see them. That doesn't happen. If you are unable to control yourself outside of marriage, you won't be able to control yourself inside of marriage. If your person you're dating cannot control themselves outside of marriage, don't expect them to do it inside of marriage. If they can control themselves with other people, Outside of marriage, don't expect them to do it. Inside of marriage, and let me just say this, if you, girls especially, if you're dating a guy that just says, no, no, I just have to have it, you don't understand, I just have to have it. There's never been a time where a guy has crawled into an emergency room dying from lack of sex. Never happened. There's never been a time where a guy's crawling in, they're like, what's wrong with you? It's like, I haven't had sex, quick, get him a woman. Like, that's, that's never happened. That's never happened. But we act like it, and guys, we do it, and I understand. I've done it before, too. I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to die. And she's like, no, you're not. You're fine. I'm like, no, you don't understand. I'm a man. Like, we're something special. We, this is the time right now where we have to learn how to control ourselves. And the better you can do it now, the better you're going to do it in marriage. If you have a problem looking at porn outside of marriage, you're still going to do it in marriage. It is easier to look at porn than it is to have sex with your wife. It's easier to just please yourself than it is to have a relationship with someone to the point of sex. It's easier to do that. And that's why so many people going into marriage have themselves set up to fail right off the bat. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 5 says this. says, God's will is for your body, is for, your, for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Guys, if... You learn how to control your sexual desires now. Life will be better in marriage. Let me just say this, guys. It's not, I want to make sure that this is not a time for anyone to feel guilt. This is not a time, and I know there's a lot of couples in here that are like, crap, shut up. Like, dang it, now I'm going to have to have a conversation later. No, it's fine. 
Let me just say this. Sex is not a line. Many times in church, sex was, is shown as a line. Like, if this is the line. Here's virginity over here. This is what God wants. And if you step over that line, you're, you're done. If you step over that line, then it's like, you've already messed up. You might as well do whatever you're going to do. And sex is not a line whatsoever. Think of it like this. Sex with many different partners is, is just like baggage. It's like adding baggage. The more people you have sex with, the more bags of your exes you're bringing into your marriage. Can you deal with that baggage before marriage? Absolutely. Actually, right now, if you decided to do that right now, you could deal with most of that before marriage. You could deal with that right now, but you have to choose at some point to stop dating and doing the same things over and over again. For some of us, the thing we just have to stop doing is going from relationship to relationship to relationship and actually give God the time to allow us to heal. Guys, next week is one of the most powerful messages we'll do because we're talking about baggage. And let me just say this out here. A lot of us were like, I'm the only one. Everyone has baggage. Everyone in this room has baggage. You may think you don't have baggage. You have baggage. We all do. We're going to talk about baggage. Uh, We're going to talk about baggage from past relationships. We're going to talk about baggage that you got from your parents because all of your parents screwed you up and they screwed me up. Like, we we have stuff that we haven't even talked about. Guys, that is a message that we have to talk about next week. And it's something that after every single time we do it, it's, it's, I'll be up here and Chrissy will be up here and she'll talk about hers and I'll talk about mine and we'll get done with it and all the girls will be like, I'm going to deal with it and all the guys are like, I'm not talking about anything. Um, but I'm thinking about it in my mind and maybe one day I'll actually open up. Um, but well, it's, it's so important to get into because this, guys, too many people rely on their marriage to cure their baggage when that's not the point. That is not the point of marriage whatsoever. Marriage is meant for you to go into it and add to each other, not to go into it and look for the other person to fix you. Please understand that. There's so many people out there. This is a message that when it's spoken, I have married people come up to me all the time and go, I wish I heard this before I got married. I wish we would have worked on this before we got married. Because it becomes much harder to work on it when you have somebody else you must care about and worry about also. All right, let's pray. Guy, thank you so much for who you are. Guy, thank you that... um, we can talk about this. God, I know this isn't easy. And God, I pray right now that, um, God, there wouldn't be guilt or shame or anything there, God. Um, God, sex is powerful, but it's not something that will keep us from you. It's not something that we should look at as some sort of line that we cross, and therefore we can't have the relationship that you want for us, God. God, all of us can have an incredible marriage. All of us can have what you want in our lives, God. God, I pray that we would just see and understand this principle. God, I thank you uh, for everyone in this room. God, I thank you that they showed up. God, I pray that you continue to work on their hearts and really just show us where we're missing it in this area. God, I thank you for that. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.